And, um, and we can't say thank you enough, enough, enough. All right? Well, this morning we have, I, I kind of wrestled with this week what, what to say on Mother's Day, whether to give a traditional Mother's Day sermon and what to talk about. And so I thought about it, and I finally landed on a topic. And um, so I want to talk this Mother's Day about uh, life, life in the hood, life in the hood, right? So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get into the message. God, we're, um, we're thankful for this, this morning, and we're thankful for mothers. God, we, we thank you for the important and essential role that they play um, in this world. And God, I don't know what we'd do without them. And so, God, we are appreciative and um, re- recognize the gifts uh, from you. And so, God, this morning, as, um, as I speak from your word, God, I just pray that you will uh, speak to mothers, and that you'll speak to fathers, um, that you'll speak to all of us clearly through your word and about your will for our lives. And it's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, now the word hood, right? You're probably thinking, what, what in the world? Where is he going with this? The, the word hood is a slang word, right, that's commonly used to refer to uh, dilapidated and, and crime-ridden areas. Um, it's a word that we're probably all familiar with. I had a very strange um, occurrence on Friday, and I'm not going to go too much in detail because it's a little too long for me to stand here and, and tell you about, but I was preparing this message on life in the hood, and, and I'm, I, I, Friday uh, morning I went out. So I have a kayak that I bought a little over, a little less than a year ago, actually. So I took my kayak out to Sweetwater Creek, um, and there's a big lake there. And so I took it out on the lake, and I'm there, I'm paddling away. And I'm, I'm actually at the end of, of my time out on the lake, and I'm coming closer to the shore, and this, this big Santa Claus-looking guy on this big white kayak is paddling towards me. And, uh, and you know, I'm kind of trying to ignore him because he, he's got his big belly. He has no shirt on, has his beard that's going all the way down to almost his belly button. And he's on this kayak, and he's coming straight towards me, right? And he waves at me. And he says, it's great out here, isn't it? And I say, yeah, it is. And I'm trying to get away, and he keeps talking to me. He keeps talking to me. He keeps talking to me. And he says, you know, the other day I was in the hood. And I was like, Rrr. And that's my ears kind of perked out. And I, I listened to this story of him talking about um, being in, in the hood. Actually, it was a neighborhood here on the south side of Atlanta. And he said that he ran into some trouble there, uh, kind of unexpected. And we began to talk about life, life in the hood. The reality is we go through life, and many of us either try to avoid the hood, right? We, we'll take certain routes. We'll go take the long way around sometimes to avoid some neighborhoods. Right? And then other of us spend our lives trying to get out of the hood, maybe. It's crime-written. It's, maybe your house has been broken into. Maybe your car has been broken into. And, and maybe you're trying to make a change, to, to move up a little bit, to move to a better neighborhood. Or, or maybe you're investing your time there and you're trying to make the neighborhood better. The, the reality is we all have some kind of relationship with the hood. And many of us, that's trying to, to avoid it. Now, this morning, we're not, we're not actually talking about that kind of hood. We're talking about another hood that is unavoidable. Right? There, there is a hood that no matter what you do, there's nothing that you can do to avoid it. There's nothing that you can do to escape it. You see, the reality is we're all born in the hood, and we go through different stages, and we transition to different hoods. Whether it's childhood, whether it's adulthood, 
whether it's motherhood, whether it's fatherhood, whether it's grandmotherhood or grandfatherhood, right? We, we transition from, from one hood to the next. And, and at every point in our life, we're, we're always going to find ourselves in the hood. And it, in each hood, there's different responsibilities and there's different challenges that we'll face. But the reality is that there's no escaping it. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at the scriptures and see what they say about living life in the hood. And that's whatever hood that you're in. Now, this morning, I am speaking particularly to mothers, but not just to mothers, because the reality is we all live in different hoods. We all are different places in life. And this message, what the Bible says, is applicable to us all. We can all take these biblical principles and apply them to, into, to our lives, no matter what stage or no matter what place we're at in life. And so what I have this morning is just three simple points, three simple points that just kind of tell us God's will for us as we live in whatever hood that we live in. And so I just want to get straight to it. This morning, the first one is we must live responsibly in the hood. We must live responsibly in the hood. No matter what hood you're in, there are responsibilities for you there. There's new challenges, there's new responsibilities that you will face every day. In fact, the scriptures teach us that God created us for responsibility. We were created to be responsible. When you go back to Genesis 1 and verse 26, when God thinks about and where God's talking about creating human beings, the first thing that God does is he talks about a responsibility that he has for human beings, then he creates humans, and then he commands them, instructs them to fulfill the responsibility that they were created for. Look at Genesis 1 verse 26. It says, then God said, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and every, uh, every living creature that moves on the ground. And so God says that, that I'm creating them so that they may rule over, so that they may care for creation as God himself cares for it, so that they may be good stewards of creation as God himself is. That was the responsibility that he created Adam and Eve for. And then he creates them, and then he says to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule be stewards over creation. And so we see from the very beginning that human beings were created for responsibility. That is a part of what it means to be human. It means to be responsible, to take hold of the responsibilities that were created for, whatever those are in the different stages that you find yourself in life. That's what it means to be human, to live responsibly, to recognize what we were created for, to recognize the different responsibilities and tasks and things that need to be done, and to live into them, to embrace them, to take hold of them and be responsible for them. And so from the very beginning, we see with Adam and Eve that humans were created for responsibility. 
Now, for each stage in life, there's different responsibilities. Mothers have different responsibilities than, than fathers do at times. And there's different challenges of motherhood that fathers will, will never experience. And there's different challenges of motherhood that children will never experience and never understand. There's different challenges of being a grandparent that sometimes children and even grandchildren will never understand because they have not quite gotten to the point and may never be at the point where they have those same responsibilities, and so they never really understand those challenges. I love the scripture in Proverbs chapter 31. In Proverbs chapter 1, I believe it's beginning in verse 10, there's this passage that talks about this wife and mother and all the responsibilities that she takes hold of. And we're not going to read all those right now, um, but I want you to read that sometime during your, your free time. Um, Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10 through the end of the chapter, it lists out all these responsibilities that this mother fulfills in the house and outside of the house. And what's unique about this passage is it's basically saying that this mother is responsible for for, for everything, right? Those of you who are mothers probably feel like that sometimes, like the weight and the burden falls on you, like you're responsible for the entire family and everything. In this Proverbs chapter 31 passage, it says this woman goes out and she makes money for her family. She goes out and she gets food and she brings it back in and she feeds her family. She's sewing, she's making clothes so that her family may be clothed and that they may be warm and that they may be fed and that they might live a good life because the mother has protected or provided for them. And she also is protecting her children from the outside, from the elements, from the things that may harm them. And so we read this passage, and it, it kind of enumerates, it lists out all the responsibilities that mothers fulfill. And the reality is there's tons of them. No matter who we are, where we are, what our stage in life, what hood we find ourselves in, there are responsibilities. And what the Scripture is saying by pointing us to that, that, um, that passage is not saying take this and post it on your refrigerator as a checklist and make sure that you're fulfilling all those responsibilities, but it's saying live your life with your eyes wide open, right, that the needs around you aren't missed, that you can see where your family is, is hurting, that you can see where your family's in need, that you can see where your children need your help. Live your eyes with your eyes wide open. And ask God to reveal to you the needs, the responsibilities, the purpose that you were created for. So that you can walk into that, that you can live into it. Because the reality is you were created for responsibility. And I love what the scripture teaches us about those who live into the responsibilities that they were created for. The Bible says that when we live a responsible life, that we will earn the respect of others and that we will glorify God that we will earn the respect of others and we will glorify God when we live into the responsibilities that God himself created us for. Look at 1 Thessalonians verse 4. And we'll start reading in verse 9. It says, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. That's responsibility. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. 
right? So that your daily life, live your life. It says, mind your own businesses, not my business. Some, for some of us, that, that's a message, right? And it says, work with your hands. Don't be idle. Scriptures talk over and over again about living an idle life. We need to hear that. Take responsibility for the responsibilities that you were created for. So whatever hood that you find yourselves in, whether that's childhood, motherhood, adulthood, fatherhood, grandparenthood, whatever it is, there are responsibilities for you there. Fulfill those responsibilities because there is a world that watches. You'll win the respect of others. You will glorify God. The scriptures are always teaching us that our lives are to be given to glorifying God. And we can only glorify God when we live into the people that God has created us to be. In Genesis 1, as we go back there, it says that God created us for responsibility. And so when we live into those responsibilities, when we embrace them, God is glorified and our lives win the respect of others. You see, the church um, is a community that lives responsibly. God has called us to be a community of responsible people. And there's passages upon passages, especially in the New Testament, that list out the responsibilities that we are to live into as the church, as a community of people who follow Christ. And it almost always, at the end of these passages, will say something to the effect, uh, talking about the world watching, the world taking notice, the world seeing the church as a community, and that we are the representatives, or we are the physical representation of God himself upon the earth. You see, the church is a visible community that's to be given to the purpose of making the invisible God visible. So as we live into the responsibilities that God created us for, God becomes visible in the world. People get to see who God is and what God is like as we fulfill the responsibilities that we're created for. In Genesis 1, again, it says we were created in the image of God. God is a responsible God. We were created in the image of God. As we live into the responsibilities that we were created for, God becomes known to the world. The world gets a glimpse of who God is. And so our first priority needs to be living responsibly in whatever hood we find ourselves in. That means we must discern the responsibilities that are there for us, and then we must embrace them and accept them and work hard to fulfill them. The second thing I want you to see is that we are created to honor God in the hood. We are created to honor God in the hood. Now, parenthood comes with the responsibility of creating a God-honoring home. In fact, the home is the primary tool that God has chosen to use Um, to, to raise children up in the faith. The home is the primary tool that God has chosen to use to establish faith in the lives of children. And God desires that our homes honor him so that our children might grow up into him. Look at Deuteronomy. I love this passage. This is back towards the beginning of the Bible. And so this has been a part of the tradition of God's people for a long time. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, this is a very popular passage that was very central in the lives of the ancient Hebrews. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are, are to be on your heart. 
And then in verse 7, listen to what it says. It says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on the gates. Right? It says, Talk about them with your children. Impress them on their hearts. Write them on the door frames. Create a house that's a godly home because the, how, the home is the primary tool that God has chosen to establish faith in the lives of children. This is absolutely essential that we don't learn to rely on someone else to do it or some institution or organization like the church to do it, but that it happens in our homes, that we are raising godly children, that we are teaching them what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. And the Bible calls this discipleship, and it calls us all to a life of discipleship. In fact, the Bible says when Jesus um, was, was getting ready to, to leave the, his followers, his disciples, and, and go back to heaven, he says to his disciples, he says, go and make disciples. Those are Jesus' last words to his followers, was go and make disciples disciples. A disciple was like an apprentice. It was a person that learned something from a teacher. And so these guys had lived with Jesus for the past three years. They had become his disciples. They had learned from his example, and then he instructs them, go and make disciples. The first and primary place where we make disciples is in our own home with our children. We raise them up in the Lord. We teach them about what it means to be followers of Christ. And that is absolutely essential. We cannot live our eyes open with our eyes out to the world and making disciples out there unless we first make disciples in our own homes. This is essential for us to grasp because this is what God called us to do. He called us from the very beginning, from Deuteronomy, and press this on your children. Teach them what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus Christ kind of in the way of Jesus, life on life, through relationships, that primary relationship is with our children. We teach them what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy verse 1, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I'm, I'm going to skip, I was going to read verse 3, but I'm going to skip to verse 5. It says this, it says, I am, this is Paul writing to Timothy, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. And so he's talking to Timothy, and he says, I know because of your grandmother's faith that she passed it down to her mother, and that because of your mother's faith that she passed it down to you. And this is something that's coming from generation down because you're making disciples in your home, and you're impressing this on your kids, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The first and primary tool that God desires to establish faith in our children is the home. We cannot stress that enough. You see, the reality is children have the potential to make a much larger impact than any adult does. There's this story of D.L. Moody. Maybe you've heard of him. He was an evangelist in the 1800s. And back then, they would have these large tent revivals, and he would go out, and he would preach, and he would speak to thousands of people. And he was trying to win people to Christ, get people to convert and become believers. Well, D.L. Moody comes home late one evening after a tent revival, and he 
gets into the bed, and his wife is already laying there asleep, and she wakes up as he gets into the bed, and she rolls over, and the first question she asked him was, well, did you have any converts? Did anybody convert to Christianity tonight? And he says, yep, we had two and a half converts. She was a little perplexed by this half of a convert, but after thinking about it for a little bit, she thought that maybe there was a child that accepted Christ. Maybe there was a child that gave their life to Christ. And she says to him, oh, how old was the child? Just making that assumption. And he responds, no, it was not a child. It was two children and one adult. You see, D.L. Moody got the point, and that is that adults, we've already lived half of our lives, right? We only got halfway to go. But for these little children, they had their entire lives ahead of them, and they had the potential to make such a huge impact and influence in this world. And that they are important not just to us, but they're important to God because God desires to use children. God desires to use these children to make an impact in this world, to change lives. And that's why the scriptures say from the very beginning, impress God's commandments on your children. Teach them about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, what's important for us to get here is this. Because I know, I know how this, this can come off. It can come off as saying that we have to have this almost a masquerade as though we have this perfect home and that there's no mistakes happening and we, we can't allow our children to see us making mistakes. Or we can't allow them to see us failing or messing up. But the reality is the life of those who follow Christ is filled with hardship, is filled with temptation and trial, and that the fact that we mess up is a reality. The fact that we fall down and that we make mistakes and that we need forgiveness is a reality. If we didn't need forgiveness, we'd have no need for Jesus. But the reality is we all need Jesus because we need forgiveness, because we do make mistakes, because we do mess up, because we are not perfect people, and our children need to see that. Our children need to see that. The only way that we can teach them what it means to be a follower of Christ is to take the mask off from time to time and not be ashamed to say, I'm sorry, I messed up, I made a mistake, please forgive me. Because that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. And if we desire to have children who are followers of Christ, who are willing to say to their friends, to those that they hurt, I'm sorry, I messed up. They need to see their parents modeling that in the home. They need to see their parents going through struggles and hardships and persevering and trusting God through them. They don't need to believe that the home is a perfect place where everything is easy and it's easy to be a follower of Christ. They need to know that those struggles exist. They need to know that those hardships exist. They need to see in your life what it means to be a follower of Christ. I love this quote from Chuck Swindoll. Maybe you've heard of him. He's a a popular author and preacher. He says this. He says, when you mess up the what? Sorry. You want to mess up the minds of children. Here's how. Guaranteed, rear them in a legalistic, tight context of external religion where performance is more important than reality. Fake your faith, sneak around and pretend your spirituality, train your children to do the same. Embrace a long list of do's and don'ts publicly, but hypocritically practice them privately. 
yet never own up to the fact that it's hypocrisy. Act one way, but live another, and you can count on it. Emotional and spiritual damage will occur. The reality is we need to let our children see us serving the Lord and struggling with that. It's not easy, and we don't have to pretend that it is. The home is a place where we should be able to take our mask off, to live authentic lives, to teach our children what it means to be a follower of Christ, to not be ashamed when we make mistakes and try to cover up and hide it, but to say, yes, I, I failed on this, this area. Yes, I made a mistake. Now, this doesn't mean we have to air all our dirty laundry. You have some things you might not want to tell your kids about if they don't know. I'm not saying go home and run down the whole list, but what I am saying is that our children will learn more from our way than from what we say. They will learn more from the way that we live than from what we say. And they have eyes. They see and they know. And they need to see our way as the way of Christ. They need to see us as people who are striving, who are working, who are asking for forgiveness, who are not quitting, who are persevering, who are not giving up, who are seeking to create homes that honor the Lord. And we need to make disciples in our homes first. The third thing I want you to see is that finally, um, we must help others who are in the same hood. We got to help others who are in the same hood as we're in, whether that's childhood, whether that's adulthood, whether that's motherhood, fatherhood, grandparenthood, whatever hood you're in, we have to help others. The reality is we go through life experiences, and life teaches us lessons. Some of us have learned some hard lessons from life. And the lessons that we learn to lo- from life need not only be lessons for us, but they need to be lessons for someone else. And so we need to teach others who are in the same hood. The experiences that we go through, the things that we've learned, we need to tell our story. I read that scripture in Proverbs several weeks ago that says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let them tell their stories. Don't let them be silent about what they've gone through and what they've experienced, but share it with someone else. What you've learned, don't let it just be a lesson for you, but let it be a lesson for someone else. Help someone else who is in the same hood that you're in. You see, the scriptures teach those who've been in motherhood for a long time to help those who are new to the hood. Look at Titus chapter 2. I love this scripture. Verse 3, it says, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to, to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, and be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. This scripture says older women, women who've been there, done that, who have children who are adults now, and now they're out of the house, don't say, you know, now all my responsibilities are over, but reach back and help those younger mothers who have children who are just having children or just going through the same challenges that you went through and are facing the same obstacles and the same hardships that you went through and teach them what you learned along the way. 
It's saying don't let the life lessons that life has taught you only be lessons for you. Allow them to be lessons for someone else. Pass what you've learned alone, along. Teach them. Reach back. Teach them. Help so that the church as a community, this happens in the context of the church, so the church as a community can be a stronger community. And then it says, so that no one maligns the word of God. Nobody takes God and says, God isn't real. God isn't authentic because of the way these people live. But people ought to look at the church and see the way that we live, the way that we care for one another, the way we help one another, and the way we grow stronger as a result of working together. The world ought to see that, and they ought to say, God is real. He is authentic. And they ought to praise and glorify our Father who is in heaven. You see, the church is not called to be a community of disconnected people, but we're called to be interconnected. We're called to help one another. Now, this means that we have to be willing to not just give help, but we also have to be willing to receive help. So for younger mothers and younger fathers and for children, it is important that we be willing to listen to the advice from those who've been there and have done that, who have been where we stand and only want to help. And I understand that they might not come off sounding as though they want to help all the time. But the reality is we need to have our ears open and be listening for the advice that those have who've been there, that have done that, and who have been through the similar experiences that we are facing now and in this life. You see, we not only live responsibly in the hood, and we not only need to honor God in the hood, but we also need to help others who are in the same hood. That's what God has created us to do, and that's what happens in the context of the church. You see, the hood is unavoidable. We're all in it. We're all going to find ourselves in it. There's no avoiding it from the time that we're born. It's from one to the, to the next. We're always trying to find out what the new challenges there are for us, right? And as we see those challenges and as we recognize those responsibilities, the scriptures are calling us to live into them and to embrace them because that's the life that God created us to live. Now, this morning I woke up... Um, kind of burdened in my, in my heart because, because of several mothers that I know um, who have lost their mothers um, in the past several months. And Mother's Day is one of those holidays, right? You pass out cards and you celebrate, but Mother's Day is also a holiday that reminds us of pain, right? It reminds us of difficult situations. It reminds us of hard situations, it reminds us maybe of the loss of a mother or the loss of a child. Things that we went through and we wish that we didn't have to go through, but the reality is we did and the pain lingers and it doesn't go away. And so I woke up this morning thinking about those mothers and thinking about how while everyone's saying Happy Mother's Day and celebrating that there's pain there. You know, the comforting thing is this. That's that God has promised to be with us in this journey. And God has promised that he would not leave us in the hood alone, that we would not be there by ourselves. The reality is, is the hood is a hard place. That Santa Claus looking guy that I met, 
He knew that. And he spoke about that. It's a hard place. But God has created the church, a community of people. He's gathered us together. And God has promised to be with us in such a way that the hood is not a hopeless place. Yes, it will be hard. Yes, there will be challenges. But it is not hopeless because God is with us and we are with one another. You know, every Sunday we gather and we share in communion with one another. That's what these four tables around the room are for. The exciting thing, at least I think exciting, because the disciples gathered around that table with Jesus himself. They had conversation there with Jesus. They knew that Jesus was their help and their strength, and they could lay their eyes upon him. And they were also witnesses of the resurrection. The fact that no hardship, that no trouble, that no trial, that no difficult thing could overcome the power of Jesus Christ himself. And so they were encouraged by gathering around the table with Jesus because they knew that anything that they faced in the future was already overcome by Jesus Christ himself. This morning, we gather around the table in the same manner. And we remember the fact that Jesus went to the cross and he overcame sin and hardship and struggle and that there's a future that's waiting for us that's perfect and where there'll be no more tears, no more hardship, and no more struggle. And so I want to challenge you this morning that as we gather around this table, that we're not gathering here just around the table with one another, but we're gathering with Jesus And we have the opportunity to lay our burdens down there. And so whatever burden that you came in this room with, I want to challenge you that as we gather, lay it down. Lay it down. Let Jesus have it. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for this morning. We're thankful for the way that you've loved us. God, we're thankful for the way that you've called us into community a community where we can gather with one another, a community where we can love one another, a community where we can help each other to walk in the faith. God, I just pray that you give us the boldness to live responsibility in whatever hood we find ourselves in, that you give us the courage to create homes that honor you. And God, we just want to help others. God, teach us how to do that in a way that doesn't come off as offensive and that isn't rejected, but in a way that's gentle and sincere. That we might be a community built up, equipped for the work that you're creating us to do. God, we recognize that we come in here with burdens and there's all kinds of hardships that we face through life. There's pain that we're carrying right now. God, you provide a peace that's beyond our understanding. And many of us have experienced that peace and that comfort that only you can provide. And God, you've promised that there's a day that we'll be totally healed from the wounds of our past, that we'll be totally healed from the hardships that we face here. You've promised us that you're a God that takes the mess of this world the dust and the dirt and makes beautiful things out of it. 
And so, God, we ask that you just give us the faith to trust you with that, to believe that you're not only able, but that you will do it. Because you're a God who always keeps, who always keeps your promises. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.